and welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be talking about the stance the Thunder has on fan attendance, kind of the recent news that we've seen surrounding the league and uh, what kind of other teams have done and how OKC has kind of turned into an outlier. I'm also going to be doing another standings roundup because we did have two major games played yesterday. And then I am also going to be previewing the Thunder's second game of that baseball set against the Golden State Warriors. But before I jump all into that stuff, you know, one of the things people have asked me is, what am I going to do? You know, where's like the draft content? Why am I not raving about Cade Cunningham right now? Or making kind of comparisons with some of our players? That is going to be something that you guys will see over the summer. So after the season ends, we're on that home stretch right now. That's when you're going to get all the content on, you know, opinions, where we should kind of go in the off season, how it progresses. That's all going to be later. But as of right now, guys, I just want to cram in some of these other stories that we've seen. And if something big happens, trust me, I will still cover, you know, specific player uh, stories. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I'm at. There has been a story that kind of has not been reported much. And it comes with the Thunder's attendance. And this is something that we have known since day one. The Thunder was one of those teams who, you know, put their foot in the ground and said, we're not going to have in-person attendance. A lot of teams to start out this season did not actually allow in-person attendance. And honestly, I was a little bit surprised by this. I thought to begin the season, there were only like five, six teams who allowed in-person attendance, but it seems like to start things out, only 14, actually, well, I was surprised, so 14 teams were allowing in-person attendance. I did not expect that, um, one of which was the Houston Rockets. If you guys remember, that game, our season opener got canceled due to them not feeling enough players. Wouldn't have helped either because that team, the Rockets, they allowed the most capacity in the arena to start out the year. They allowed a quarter of their max arena capacity to be filled. Most of these other teams only allowed like 10 or under. I think there were three outliers, including the Rockets, that were boosting up to like 20 up to 25%. But that's kind of how the year started. And to start at the year, you know, specifically in the first half of the season, December, January, and even February, you saw a lot of teams not being able to get, you know, players out there due to COVID tracing. And I think the minimum you can have is eight on a roster. So teams were really kind of just barely cutting it. That's exactly what happened with the Oklahoma City Thunder in February. That is when we got to see guys like Justin Jackson turn into, like, you know, for a two-game stretch, the star of the team. Kendrick Williams got his stripes in February. Just a lot of different people got their their shots. And that includes guys like Teo Maladone as well due to George Hill's injury. But so many different guys got their shots in that month, and it's been league-wide. I think there's a lot of young prospects who have kind of really um, had the opportunity due to you know how two-way contracts work and all the injuries. They needed more players, but that's how it started. As we know now, though, after the All-Star break, I don't think there's been a game uh, canceled whatsoever. You know, We've seen the hardship exception used. I talked about it, uh, I think, yesterday or the day before that on how our... Um, our previous summer league attendee or training camp attendee, Admiral Schofield, signed on the, under the hardship exception. So teams that can't field enough players are getting benefits from the league right now. So it's not happening. 
And with COVID numbers kind of lowering down and more people getting vaccinated, it's kind of turned into this thing where the league is opening more avenues up. And it's not just in the NBA where you see this. We've seen it in baseball. You know, I know that I think it, it might be the Texas Rangers or something. They are playing at full capacity in their arenas right now. There are, you know, minor league teams that are getting thousands of people. I know that in AA that um, some of the teams were getting as high as like 5,000 people, which is kind of crazy. But yeah, I mean, just a lot of attendance has been going on and things are kind of shifting back. And because of that, teams one by one this year have started to open the gates back up for attendance. So starting this month up, there were only three teams in the league who were not allowing in-person attendance. And that was the Chicago Bulls, the Portland Trailblazers, and the Oklahoma City Thunder. Now, for the Chicago Bulls, they made a ruling actually in the final week of April that they were going to start allowing players or fans to be in the United Center for games. And this actually took place yesterday. The first game with in-person attendance came yesterday. I think they had about four more home games left until the season concluded for them and then it was just left up to the portland trailblazers and the oklahoma city thunder they really have not had any sort of comment you know in the month of may even in april like the last real statement that i could draw up was in march where they kind of reiterated to season ticket holders that they were not intending on bringing fans into the arena and they were going to be open for next year we've seen it on bally sports fox sports oklahoma whatever you want to call it they were advertising it that's that's what they do like two times a game they show the qr code to scan so you can go tour the tickets on may whatever it is like 17th or something like that but yeah i mean they're heavily promoting it but the deal was they they were firm they weren't going to open up um chesapeake energy arena to fans and for the trailblazers it was kind of the same with the moda center but things actually shifted this week so after kind of the news broke out well it's not even broke out it was kind of known that the bulls were going to be playing last night with uh in-person attendance damian lillard got pretty upset and i think it was due to just the culmination of him going you know them on their road trip seeing fans in the arena and them just not being able to experience that at all this year Seems like he was a little bit fed up. So he took to Twitter on Tuesday saying, so we gonna be the only damn team in the whole league with no fans. And off that tweet alone, whenever I last checked the tweet yesterday, Damian Lillard's tweet had 59,000 likes and 3,200 retweets. And in 24 hours, I mean, he had like well over 42 a uh, thousand likes anyways so it really just exploded immediately and it wasn't just the portland trailblazers fan base who was fed up about it it's their superstar point guard the reason they're in the playoff race right now and you know it kind of got attention not just in that fan base so nba twitter was all riled up thousands of tweets getting strung up about the situation and in a matter of 24 hours the trailblazers made an announcement literally 21 hours so not even a full day 
they tweeted that they would be opening back up the Moda Center for yesterday's game where they played against the LA Lakers. That was a major game in terms of in terms of playoff implication. And the fans must have helped because the Trailblazers won that game and now they have claimed the sixth spot. And the Lakers, they're in treacherous waters right now. They are looking at a play-in at the seventh seed unless they're able to change things around very, very quickly. But that's just how it was. So it definitely worked out for them. Same exact thing happened for the Chicago Bulls. I mean, they won their game yesterday against the Celtics, 121 to 99. So kind of just gives you perspective. Maybe it helped them out in their two games. But yeah, they both collected W's. And I'm sure listening to like post-game interviews, that was going to be the hot topic on fans being back. How did it help? Such and such. But for the Thunder... There's still no statement here, and there's not going to be one. And here's the deal. I mean, for these arenas, sure, they're getting some sort of revenue here, but they're not really fielding a ton of capacity. And a lot of these stadiums are doing much more than others are. But I was just scrolling through. It was on um, Basketball Reference yesterday. I was checking through other kind of lowly teams in the league as to what their attendance was. The Detroit Pistons, through that website, were listed at having 750 people max for their games. Now, I'm going to be honest, I don't really check how many people are going to these NBA games. I know that arenas, um, some of them, you know, they can go up to like, I don't know, like 20,000 plus, like, but 750 is nothing. And with the Detroit Pistons having that many as their max, I would assume that a lot of other franchises are kind of following suit, but is that a ton of revenue? It's some, but is that going to shift you with the last like week and say, you know what, let's bring fans back? It's not going to happen. You know, this is not really, this is not really a debate, but I think it just kind of goes to show you like there's not a ton of fans going from arena to arena. And for our case, the Thunder aren't making the playoffs. We've known that since March. I think, you know, whenever we were hovering around 500, it was a chance, but you know, once we got in that losing streak, it was over with. So, I mean, there's no shot. We have two remaining home games, and they're our final two on the season. They're going to play the Jazz and then the Clippers. Those are two games that they're not expected to win. Obviously, it doesn't matter because, I mean, the Thunder have some of the best fans in the whole league, if not the best. Obviously, I'm being a homer there, but truthfully, like, whenever athletes talk about you know, fans, they always talk about the Chesapeake Energy Arena as kind of having that college atmosphere. And that's how it was, especially when we saw guys like Katie Russ and James Harden kind of just develop with the team. And even going on into like the 2016 playoff push, hell, even 2017, it's just been something that's stuck through here. It doesn't matter who we field, there's going to be fans chanting in, uh, in the arena. So I think the fans would show up, obviously, but there's not really much of a uh, a real point. <laughs> I think obviously like the, the players would be happy about that. The fans would be happy about that, but just push it back. It's not like these other two teams in, um, in the trailblazers and the bulls where, I mean, the trailblazers, they're looking at a playoff contest. Like technically they're not clinched, but they are pretty damn close at 38 and 29 right now they're going to be making the playoffs. They're not losing out on all their games. And, you know, some of these other other squads aren't going to sneak up. I guess, you know, technically, they haven't clinched a playoff berth. 
but they're going to be either in the play-in or the playoffs. So they're going to have at least one postseason game at the minimum. It's probably going to be more than that, but there's going to be more opportunities for these fans to show up. So they have a couple of home games remaining, but it's going to go past the regular season. And even looking at the Chicago Bulls, currently right now, they're 11th. That's a play-in seed, or they're one away from the play-in seed. Let me, let me rephrase that. Right above them is the Wizards. They're three games ahead, and with how they've been playing, they're probably going to get knocked out of that race anyways, but there's still a slim chance, and they made that announcement a couple weeks ago. Just throw them in for a couple couple more uh, contests, so those two are good. think it's just going to be the Thunder aren't going to have any people, and honestly, I mean, it's not like this is the greatest Thunder team anyways, so their mindset probably is going to be, let's just market the hell this summer out of Thunder basketball. The assumption is the Thunder is going to collect hopefully one super high pick in this draft. That's going to be someone that you can market around. That on top of SGA returning from his planner fasciitis injury. Lou Dort's been going off. Darius Basie's been breaking out. And Maladone and Pokashevsky have been great too. So there's a lot of different people you can talk about here. And there's going to be more assets to come. So it's going to be kind of that vibe that we saw in like the 2009-2010 season whenever the Thunder started harvesting all their assets. They had KD in his third year, Westbrook in his sophomore year, and then they got Harden in the draft too. That's almost what you're going to be looking at. They're going to be marketing that that young core, and it's not just going to be now where you're thinking SGA, Dort, and Bays, and you know maybe that's it. You talk about Poku as like a joke. He's not a joke. He's very good. And Maladon, too, is like a young guy. There's going to be a lot of hype, and it's going to be a different team. But, yeah, until then, they're not going to really have any chatter about fans. Come next year, though, definitely, definitely going to be worth uh, showing up to some of those Thunder home games. And now, moving on to the lottery roundup. I said there were two main games last night, and... Two different strikes on both of them. The main teams that we were going to be talking about were the Orlando Magic as well as the Cleveland Cavaliers. The Magic played the Hornets and then the Cavs played the Dallas Mavericks. Truthfully, I thought the game that had a better likelihood of a win was going to come out of, um, well, honestly, I think for different reasons I had other, um, I, I kind of had different reasons for both, but the one that I was thinking was maybe the Cavs just because there are games where you get one of the two guards to go off, whereas the Magic, I mean, they're so scrapped of pieces now that, as I mentioned, they got to use the hardship exception for guys. They also got Dante Hall on a contract that will last to the end of the year. Is it another 10-day? I mean, that bring him to that date. Some Shams. So he didn't really word it as like a multi-year. I'm just going to assume he's, he's going to be with them. But that's a really good pickup for them. He was on two different two-day contracts. Um, actually, I'm not entirely sure. If it was two different ones and he got a third, that might be the first time in history. But yeah, I mean, they, they already brought him on. So he's kind of used to the system already. He didn't play in this game though. But um, I mean, regardless, they put up a really good fight against this Hornets team. And the Hornets team, they did not have... Uh, Gordon Hayward right now. So it's really just LaMelo and Terry Rozier going off. Rozier had 28. LaMelo had 27 points, six rebounds, and six assists. And PJ Washington had 23. Even Jalen McDaniels 
got 13, and he was a guy who, I mean, there's Jalen on the Timberwolves. We originally drafted him and then moved him for Poku, but he, he's looked pretty good as a prospect too, like six foot ten, very lanky, barely 200 pounds, so he's a project piece there. And for the Magic, they did not have a lot of guys, but they made the most out of everyone. Dwayne Bacon against his former team dropped 26 points in 34 minutes. Dwayne Bacon is a very good penetrator around the basket. We saw him, I think, in the first matchup we played against the Magic, um, where I think Roby had a pretty decent game. Vucevic went off, but Dwayne Bacon had like 18 points, maybe even more. And that was just one of his main moments. He's looked really good against us overall in the like the whole year. He's been great. Really revived his career because in Charlotte, truthfully, I didn't think he was going to make it. He's looked good now though. And then you also had Cole Anthony. I said he was going to be that freshman phenom for him. He's going to be the star uh, this point moving forward because of everybody out. He did good. He had 22 points and six rebounds, only one assist. And the co-star, you can't forget about the other rookie point guard they have in RJ Hampton. He came off the bench and had 16 points, 5 rebounds, and 3 assists. It's going to be weird to see how they all form whenever you get Markel Fultz back. But hell, I'm all for it. I think RJ Hampton's been looking really good lately. Cole Anthony too. My goodness, they got a lot of talent growing um, at the guard spots for them. But that was about it. I mean, Gary Harris was not that good. He had 12 points. And Chason Randall, our two-way, or not our two-way guy, the guy we had in the blue for all the two games, plugged in and had 11 points for them. Did not get to see Admiral Schofield play in that game. So that was one miss. And then that Mavs-Cavaliers game, the Mavs took it by 20 points, 110-90. to And for the Mavericks... They had Luka go off for 24 points. Josh Richardson had 18. And Tim Hardaway Jr. had 20. To beat that out, you got to have some major games. Colin Sexton was solid. He had 27 points. And Shetty Osman had 22. And Isaac Okoro had 15. So they had that group. But outside of them, no one was really good. Uh, next largest score was 9. And then after that, it was 5. So just not enough bench production in either of those. But with that... You got to see something that we are going to get used to very, very fast. This little three-way tie for the fourth best odds. So the Cavs, the Thunder, and the Magic all have a 21-46 and record heading into tonight's game. And they are a game away from the Detroit Pistons. For the Pistons, they have a game tonight. And they're playing the Philadelphia 76ers. So after that conclusion, we'll see how it goes. I know on that one, it's a little bit weird because they're bringing back Mason Plumley. Jeremy Grant's listed as questionable, and I think Joel Embiid and potentially even Ben Simmons are questionable too. So if you get a full force piston squad going against a really weak 76ers team, there's a shot for them. I think especially with no Joel Embiid, Dwight Howard's look good, even you know as a backup role, even when he starts too. But um, yeah, I, I think with Simmons and Embiid out there's a real chance and let's just assume that the Philadelphia 76ers win this game that might still be very good for us because their final two games it's going to be a baseball set against the Orlando Magic and for the Magic we're really knotted up with them right now and if the 76ers are clinched in that first seed which that is the assumption 
um, they might just bench everybody and say, you know what, let's just give them a extended break, let them watch the play-in and get geared up to face whoever that eight seed is going to be. So that would be close and that'd be more of some tank battles. That'd be kind of stooping down to their level. So it makes it interesting. It's kind of an investment where they get a win here. It obviously hurts for right now, but it might be good because the Magic would also drop out and it'd just be a two-man race for the fourth spot. So that's something to think about. Uh, outside of that, I mean, not really any pivotal games. The Rockets are playing the Jazz. Win or lose, it doesn't matter. They are going to have the top odds leading off into lottery day. And then the other game is just ours. So, you know, only one big one. And um, with that, I, I guess there's routes for wins on either side of the coin there. But for us, there's clearly only one result we want, and we want to lose this game. Luckily, that might not be that big of an issue. Lou Dort is listed as questionable for the game. We saw him get pulled after 21 minutes in the last game against the Warriors due to patellar tendonitis. So it might be a 50-50 call. I would just go out on a limb and probably assume he's not going to play. Every time I say that, though, I feel like I'm wrong. So... Don't take my word for it, but that that's probably what I'm going in this game thinking. I don't think they want to risk it with him, especially when, I mean, this is one of the top defenders in the league. He gets just in so much contact every night. Probably don't want to risk it, especially this late into the year. Don't want to really re-aggravate anything. So he might um, just end up, you know, not playing. And then Poku, he's also not going to be playing. And it's due to his left knee contusion. He's been out the last two games. Had to get pulled halftime in the last game he was in. So you're not going to risk it with him. I don't know if he's done for the season. I hope not because I really do want to see him again. But he won't be here for this back-to-back -back set. Next shot is the baseball set against the Sacramento Kings. But outside those two, nothing new here. SGA's out. Muscala's out. Al Horford's vacationing wherever he would be at. So nothing much on that front. And for the Golden State Warriors... The only real guys you need to worry about, well, not even worry about, the only guys you don't need to be expecting walking through the locker room doors is going to be Damian Lee, Kelly Oubre Jr., Eric Pascal, and Clay Thompson. No kidding. And also James Wiseman. So just the exact same as we saw in the last game. I feel like Damian Lee might have placed a couple minutes, but he was a non-factor if he even did. So this is just like from what we saw in the last game where the Golden State Warriors won by 21 points. And it came through the main guys here in Steph Curry and Michael Mulder, who was a bit of a surprise. But Steph Curry went off for 34, as you all remember, went 6 of 13 from 3. And then Michael Mulder, out of nowhere, was just gunning off catch-and-shoot triples off that bench. He beat out Ty Jerome in the point category. Seemed crazy that he did that, but worked out that way. So he got his 25 points, going 9 of 15 overall, and went 7 of 13 from downtown. So he need to lock down Mulder for sure off that bench. I feel like that might have just been one of his super hot games on the year. With Curry, it's a constant thing where he's going to drop 30 points. So he is that primary target. You make others kind of get those points. And they got that through Michael Mulder. You still got to talk about Curry dropping 34, though. So... I would say they uh, they got that accomplished, but they, they really didn't. They, they let Curry run rampant and let others kind of get, get hot too. 
And then there was Wiggins, who had that really hot first quarter and quieted down, got back to more like inconsistent shooting, went 7 of 18 for 18 points. But you do need to worry about him because before that game in the last four with no Kelly Oubre, he was putting up just around 25 points. So I think Mulder was the shocker. If it's not going to be Mulder, it's going to be Andrew Wiggins at that number two spot. And even behind him, there's Draymond Green, who tends to just be forgotten about now. Uh, actually, I feel like his skills are not given, you know, his just uh, kind of evaluation. Like he's very good. I know scoring wise, he's not going off for like 15, 20, but he is getting the rebounds and he's a very good passer. So he's kind of veering around like the eight to nine assist range in these last couple ones. So he'll be deadly. You got to talk about those main four. And then outside of that, I don't really know if it'd be all that serious. I thought Juan Toscano Anderson was pretty good, especially defending in the last game and Jordan Poole he's one of those quiet guys off the bench who is either going to be very terrible to the point where you bench him or he will rattle off double digits in around 10 minutes so he's a guy to keep your eye on but obviously it all starts with Steph Curry I think the main point of emphasis here is slowing down the Warriors in terms of distributing the basketball around and that's going to be very tough you cannot allow allow any sort of penetrations for Steph Curry and you kind of just got to work with that. So it comes a lot down to how Teo Maladone plays this. Same goes with Moses Brown and Tony Bradley when they are out there. Also need to mention Ty Jerome. But you can't just let the paint wide open for Steph Curry because what you saw was he would drive in and he'd kick out to the corner. And if they did a good switch to that corner, you'd hit the wing. It'd just be bang, bang all over the place until you found that shot and you would be good. And on that same note, a lot of the times, what you would see is you would see Michael Mulder, you'd see Steph Curry operating at the wing or something, and they would he'd just be able to pull the big man out of the paint. You could just dump it right down low, and you had two wide open points just waiting for the taking. So it's very it's a very difficult task, especially against the Warriors with Steph, but passing is that main thing. You got to clog up those passing lanes, got to make them work more in isolation obviously with curry he's very very good in iso but you gotta be able to make sure there's no just easy buckets gotta prevent it if possible sure you do want to make steph curry that main dude maybe pressure him um as soon as he crosses that timeline because this is really just about experimenting now that we're this far into the season and there's not really anything more to be playing for outside of lottery odds where they should be losing their game so hell try to pressure curry make him throw the ball around to somebody else and yeah see if michael Mulder can get his 25 again and if he does hey i'm not gonna be complaining about him i'd probably say he's probably at his best two game stretch in his whole entire career so see what Mulder's is able to do and uh same goes around with uh with everybody there but for the thunder I mean, they had a couple couple main guys in the game. Ty Jerome was the big one with 23 points. You already know Steve Kerr is wanting to make sure the bench has him on lockdown because no one else on that bench was really all that good, in my opinion. I thought Tony Bradley was great. Um, you know, not like at an elite level, but he was really good at setting the screens and just rolling to the basket, just doing what he always does. And I thought that Josh Hall was all right, too. But the bench is not really all that strong unless Ty Jerome is super hot. So they cool him down. It might already be over. But you got to mention Gabrielle Deck, who was not very good in the last game. One of his 
quietest performances probably the worst game he's had um since he's joined the thunder only going two of seven for six points but he might be able to get off again had 16 points in 16 minutes the game before that so he is still able to reach those heights not a sure thing but it's definitely something that you need to talk about if ty jerome is not going to be that number one option because deck was taking the ball up he was calling for isos prior to this last game since ty jerome was so hot there was really no need for that so he was in the background kind of as a catch and shoot man when you talk about the starting lineup we don't know what's going on with lou dort if lou dort is not playing you're gonna see guys like kendrick williams come out of that injury report and take up minutes you're gonna see ty jerome split some minutes there too and Svima kailuk he will also get time so those are the main ones that you talk about there and who's gonna plug in but maladon you want to see him obviously meet really well with steph curry i know whenever he was playing um i think it was the yeah it was the suns game against chris ball where he got 25 points or no i'm just kidding i think he had like 33 or 34 so he's able to go off against some of the league's best. So you want to see him reach that level again. Darius Baisley got 22 in the last game, but maybe the efficiency was not all that good. You don't really want him to see, um, you know, 7 of 19 as a whole. But I want to see him crack that second level against Draymond Green because he couldn't. He had to settle for threes. Make sure he's kind of attacking. And then also just Moses Brown. See him get a little bit more active right under the basket. But this is just another game, you know, business as usual, going up against like one of the best players in the league, if not the best. If he's hot, it's going to be over. I just want to see how long they're able to hang in there. And they might make it a 48-minute game. You just never know with this roster. So I'm really psyched up to see it. Hopefully you guys are too. I'm going to get you guys the game recap tomorrow, as well as any other stuff going on in the league. So just get ready for that but other than that guys that is going to wrap up today's podcast i thank you all for listening and i will talk to you all next time see ya